Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Hey guys, I'd like to welcome you to our second week of online church. Hey, last week, I want to thank you for your patience, and I want to thank you for your graciousness, uh, because last week, it kind of felt like I was preaching for the very first time. It's kind of like Ricky Bobby. Like, I didn't know what to do with my hands. I didn't know what camera I was supposed to look at, Uh, but I want to thank you for your patience uh, with me, but I also like to uh, thank all of our media team. Last week, it took them about four days. They hustled, and they put all of this together, and uh, we're so blessed to have a world-class uh, media team. And if you're at home, can you just like give our capital media team just a warm whatever hand clap? They are amazing. Uh, so last week, if you tuned in, uh, we talked about anxiety. Everyone say anxiety at home. Uh, anxiety is all about our attempt, as we defined it last week, to control the future. But Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, not to worry about tomorrow, not worry, not worry about the end of the month, Uh, You don't have to worry about um, the future. Why? Because our Father in heaven is in the future, and he's not sweating anything. He's not worried about what's going on. In fact, he identifies with our suffering and our pain. But Jesus and his Father is in charge of human history. Today, I want to talk about perspective. I want to talk about clarity. Uh, Isn't it funny, the beginning of 2020, uh, we were talking about, man, God's going to give us 2020 vision. He's going to give us a clear-eyed view. And now it's the end of March, and I think we're probably like fed up with, okay, I think I got enough perspective already. Uh, And I think the reason why we're saying that is because that's what happens when we're in the midst of a storm. In fact, I want to flesh out this idea that um, apocalyptic storms or storms in our life uh, do, in fact, bring perspective and clarity. So I want to give you three thoughts that are generally related to perspective, uh, but these thoughts are organized around just a basic theme, and it's this. How do storms or what do storms produce in us, in our lives? And so I want to go to Acts chapter 27, and we're going to begin in verse 13. Uh, Luke tells us in the first few verses, uh, gives us a lot of details. Uh, he's essentially foreshadowing that uh, something bad's going to happen. And so we have Paul, he's a prisoner, with his companions, and he's on his way to Italy. So we come to verse 13. I'm just going to read just a chunk of Scripture in this kind of narrative piece. And so we begin in verse 13, and it says, Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. Verse 14, but soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and we were driven along. Verse 16, we'll then skip to verse 18. Verse 18 says, since we were violently storm-tossed, they begin the next day to jettison the cargo. Verse 19, and then on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. That's fascinating to me. And this is my first point. I think what happens when we're experiencing apocalyptic-sized storms, that kind of storm 
will inevitably, if we allow it, to produce humility in our life. It's funny that all hope, this is what, this is what Paul and this is what everyone was thinking, all hope of being saved was abandoned, right? Essentially, what, what did they do? They jettisoned the cargo. Uh, they uh, took the tackle. Now, I, I've been known uh, to be kind of a man's man, and so I know some of you are laughing at home. Uh, I don't have guns, but, man, I, I have no problem with guns. Uh, I'm pretty much a farmer my whole life, and people think I'm a sailor, but I'm not a sailor. But I do know one thing when it comes to tackle. You need tackle, right? Think about this. You need tackle in the midst of an apocalyptic-sized storm like this. Now, tackle is like ropes and sails, and they help you to navigate very difficult storms. And this is what's happening. They're jettisoning the cargo. They're taking essential stuff, tackle, and they're throwing it overboard. In fact, even the sailors, we're talking experienced sailors on the Adriatic Sea, they don't even know what to do, right? They have given up all hope of, of being saved. And I think as Americans, we find ourselves in the very same place. I think what this storm is teaching us, this COVID-19 apocalypse, is teaching us a radical sense of humility. Please hear me. Um, I, I've been talking to a lot of different people, and people um, are stunned. They're in awe. They're trying to figure out how to process what's happening not only to our nation, but what's happening to, to our world. In fact, we live in a hyper-modern um, culture that's built on this mythology that technology can save us, that money can save us, that science can save us, uh, success can save us. And now we're, we're at a place where, as Americans, we're rethinking everything about life. And so the storms that we encounter in our life, if we allow it, can produce humility. I, I've been saying this a lot. Ann Dillard, uh, she's one of my favorite poets right now. She says this, in a time of plenty, we got a big problem. We tend to forget ourselves. And how do we forget ourselves? Well, she, she thinks that we forget that we're creatures and not creators. And I think what's happening right now as we're experiencing this storm in our life, I think people are coming to the realization, oh, my gosh, I'm not in control, right? We're not in charge like we thought. We thought we domesticated Mother Nature, and uh, right now we are overwhelmed with uh, what's happening in our life. And thank God for medicine, and thank God for our healthcare workers and those who are on the front line, and they're saving lives, and uh, they're risking their lives to nurse people back to health. Uh, that's so important. But I think when, when we're in this storm right now, I think a lot of us are realizing that, man, okay, uh, I, I need to rethink uh, what it means to be human. In fact, Ann Diller continues. She says, we're not, we're, we're not creators, we're, we're creatures. Uh, and when it comes to this human thing, right, uh, we are at best clumsy amateurs, right? We're clumsy amateurs, right? I'm, not, I'm 43 years old, but I'm not 45,000 years old. I don't have, and I mentioned this last week, I don't have uh, all this time-worn wisdom. And so when it comes to being human, right, we're clumsy at it. Uh, we need more than just technology, and we need more than just uh, science. We need more than just medicine, and all those things are good. What we need is Jesus. 
So what happens? The storms that we experience, and the storm, if we allow it, that we're experiencing right now, can lead us into a radical sense of humility. But this radical sense of humility also produces something else. And I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 through 11. Paul, we all love Paul, he's writing uh, and penning this second letter to the church in Corinth. This letter is actually a, a lot different in style uh, than 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he's cheerful. He's upbeat. Uh, man, he's excited about life. He's high-fiving everybody. Man, life is, man, life is stinking good for Paul. Uh, but then in this letter, his style changes dramatically. In fact, a lot of scholars say that uh, Paul looks like he's on the verge of an emotional breakdown. In fact, he's battered. He's worn out. He's writing as if he's an exhausted man. And so he's penning this letter in chapter 1, and this is what he says in verse 8. And I want you to connect, okay, so what does storms do? Well, they produce humility, a radical sense of humility, right? Science can't uh, save us. Money can't save us. Success can't save us. Hey, if you want to be an influ influencer, that's great, but that can't save you, right? Only God can save you. So what does that produce? And I think Paul gives us the answer. He says in verse 8, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I want you to feel this passage. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely. Could you turn to your neighbor and say, rely at home? Make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Verse 11. So you also must help me by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of the many. What is Paul doing here? Well, Paul is saying that this trial, we don't know what the trial was, but the trial that he experienced, which led him to the verge of death, actually did something counterintuitive. It taught him not just humility, but it taught him not to rely on himself, but to rely on God who raises the dead. That became the center of Paul. right? And I think what, what's happening is that God used this trial in Paul's life to, and this is Paul, guys, but God used this to create a new depth in Paul's heart, a, a fresh new reality. Like, I think God used this trial to create a new sense of trusting in God who raises the dead. In fact, I think the key to, uh, to Paul's power that he experienced in his life is inextricably connected to this trial that exposed that self-sufficiency and relying on immortality or on technology or whatever is illusory, right? And Paul gave that up, and he made a decision that the very center of his life, he would put his trust in Jesus. In fact, I want to ask you this question today. What is the center of your life, right? Is it success? Right? What have you been relying on? Right? Is it, is it, I want to be an influencer? Right? Or I need all these followers in my life. Or I need an income this much. Right? Or I need to be successful. Right? What are the things, we all have it, what are the things that prior to this storm 
we have been relying on over and against relying on Jesus who raises the dead. In fact, one poet said, hey, if the center does not hold, everything falls apart. C.S. Lewis also said this, if you make first things first, you'll get first things and second things thrown in. But if you make second things first things or third things first things, you will lose both first and second and third and fourth things. What C.S. Lewis is saying is that, man, priorities matter. What's at the center of your life matters. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The backdrop of that is all about anxiety. Jesus seems to think that if the kingdom of God, his power, right, his life uh, is at the center of your life, then everything else, everything else, it lines so what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Well, I think it means to seek first. It means to make the very center of your life the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It means to really put your trust in the fact that Jesus, in fact, ascended 2,000 years ago into heaven. And that heaven is not radically det- detached from our place. But heaven is the control room where God rules all of creation. And that not only did Jesus ascend into heaven and he's ruling all things in creation, right? He also poured out his spirit on his people. And now he's empowered his people and God wants to work through his people to make all things right in creation. That should be the center, right, of our, of our life. But the story of Jesus, his resurrection, his death, his life, his ascension, the pouring out of the Spirit, and God's call for us to be on mission. That is the center, right? And if that is the centerpiece of our life, Jesus makes a promise. Everything else will take care of itself. So what what do storms produce? They produce humility. Uh, And if we allow it, they produce a sense in us to jettison those things that we've been relying on. And so we can make a commitment to relying on Jesus who raises the dead. The second thing, we find this in Acts chapter 27. Storms also produce uh, a sense of thanksgiving. And in Acts 27, I believe in verse 21, it says this. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this in- injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told but we must run aground on some island. And then we skip forward down to verse 33. And Luke tells us, Luke, Luke writes, is writing this. He says in verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food 
themselves. It's powerful scripture. And what we find here is that storms produce radical gratitude. Isn't it funny? My wife, she, a couple days ago, she went to our store, our grocery store, and uh, my family, we love eggs. That's, that's our thing. We love eggs. She went to the grocery store, and no eggs was in the store. And it was jarring for me. It was jarring for my son, Quincy. Like, he didn't know what to do. Wesley started crying. We're like eggs. We're like egg. We're an egg family. And in that moment, we, we as a family begin to realize, oh, my gosh, all the things. We begin to realize all the things that we had been taking for granted. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said this a long time ago. Man, there's a critical decision that we need to make, right? And you can make this in a storm. You can take life for granted or you can take life with gratitude. And what we see here, the very first thing that Paul does in response to the grace of being rescued from this apocalyptic storm is that he gathers everybody around, he breaks bread, and he gives thanks. Let me just say this really quick, and I've mentioned this so many times before, but grace and gratitude, they share the same Greek and Latin roots. So in, in essence, they're linguistic siblings, right? So if you find grace, you'll see gratitude. If you see gratitude, you'll find grace. So you might be asking, Chris, okay, what, what's grace? Well, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is something that happens to you that you don't deserve at all, right? Grace is something that you, you can never earn, right? Grace is something you can never pay back. In fact, uh, grace has nothing to do with quid pro quo, right? Grace is not, okay, I'm going to give you something, and then you give me something back. No, grace is something that is given to you that you could never for 5,000 years return uh, or pay back. That's what grace is. And when you experience that kind of grace, guess what happens? It produces a range of emotions. Like if you encounter true grace from Jesus, you're going to experience awe. You're going to experience wonder. So what is that? What's that awe? What's that sense of wonderment? What's that sense of being surprised? Well, that's gratitude. In fact, if you, if you were to like strip down gratitude and thanksgiving, what would you find? You would find a basic understanding that everything in life is a gift from God. Everything in life is a gift from God. In fact, James tells us that every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God without any variation or shadow of turning, right? Jesus told his disciples, hey, when you pray, uh, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will our Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We find in Psalms uh, 127, this is my favorite. I claim this when I'm down certain days, but children are a gift from the Lord, right? Oh, did you guys laugh at that? No? Okay. Uh, I love my kids, but children, like, are a reward, right? They're a fruit. Um, they're a gift that God wants to give us. Proverbs tells us that uh, if you find a wife, if you find a husband, if you find a spouse, you find a good thing. What is that? That's a gift thing. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God builds out the cosmos, and he fills creation with abundance. And then at the end of this kind of building out of creation, God looks over all of it, and he says, it is very good. Life is filled with grace, and life is filled with gifts. 
And what we find here is that Paul, in response to grace, responds with gratefulness. Gratitude, gratefulness is a defining characteristic feature of followers of Jesus. If you struggle with gratitude, I'd like to just suggest one little thing. It could be that you really haven't grasped the grace of Jesus, right? God is so good. And when you begin to realize how how good God is and how amazing we have it, even now when things are are crazy, right? Even before maybe uh, this whole ordeal with COVID-19, right? We had it good. You might not have had the income you wanted. You might not have been the influencer you wanted to be. You might not have had all the money or the success. But when you encounter grace, man, the only emotion that you will begin to feel and experience is gratefulness. So let's be grateful people. So storms, if we allow it, produce gratefulness in us. And then finally, this is my favorite thing. You know what storms produce in us? Storms produce Love. Here we have, I want to go back to Acts 27 and uh, really quick, verse 33 to 36. It says that Paul did several things. He urged all of, after he gets his vision from God, he urges all the 276 people on the ship to come and break bread with him. So Paul encourages them that, hey, everybody on this ship is going to survive. So here's the thing, this is what I love about Paul. Paul's not just thinking about his mission, it's not just Paul and Jesus and his mission to Rome. In fact, we find that Paul is thinking about all the other people on this ship. And I like to think, I don't know, I like to think about the, the people on this ship. I bet you a lot of them were pagan. I'm sure some of them were from Ephesus and they, they worshiped Artemis. Maybe some were, we know there's a Roman centurion, a Roman guard. I'm sure some of them worshiped the god Apollos, right? We have a lot of pagans on this ship. And what we find is that Paul allowed this storm to grow his love. I think Paul had a lot of love. But he included, as a response to, uh, to God's grace, he included 276 people on his ship. First John says this, 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. I said this last week. This is why I'm going to end. Love and fear are mutually exclusive realities, right? You can't, you can't they, they, they just can't, it's like oil and water, right? They, they don't mix together. Why is that? Well, fear is self-referential. What does that mean, Chris? Well, fear is always curving everything back on itself, right? So all the movement, when you're afraid and when you're, you're in anxiety and you're trying to control the future, guess what you're doing? All you're doing is thinking about yourself, And I can say that because I've experienced fear and anxiety in my life. And I know that if you're not careful, fear can cause this obsession with yourself. That's what fear is. Fear is self-referential. Love is the opposite. Love is self-giving. In fact, love is always moving away from the self. It's moving away from uh, obsession with uh, whatever is concerned about itself. Uh, Love is concerned always about other people. And this is what we see uh, Paul exemplifying as he included 276 people on this ship as he broke bread with them. So this is what storms do. Storms, if we allow it, can produce a radical sense of humility, which teaches us that our reliance is not on 
therapeutic materialism, right? Our reliance is not on our indestructibility as Americans. Our reliance is not on money, success, any of that. Our reliance is on, and this should be the center of our lives as followers of Jesus, is on God who raises the dead. Two, uh, I'm going to believe this week, in the midst of our storm right now, you're going to experience God's grace like you've never experienced before. God's going to speak to you. I know some of you need a word of encouragement. You, you don't know if you're going to make it to the end of the month. Maybe you're concerned about your health. Maybe you're concerned about your finances. Maybe you are on the front lines and you're caring for the sick and you're worried about your health. You're worried about your family's health. Uh, I want to encourage you that God's grace is sufficient for you and that God loves you with an everlasting love. So it's this, this sense of humility and this sense of grace, which always leads to gratitude, I, I'm going to pray, is going to shape us as a community. And finally, I just believe that the greatest, you might, you might not agree with this. I'm being rhetorical. I know you do. But I really believe that the greatest move of God is already afoot. I think, please hear me, I know things are crazy right now, but I think God is digging a new depth in his people that is absolutely essential for what God wants to do right now, but in the future. I think God's getting us ready. I think God is teaching us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. God is teaching us that we can't rely on success and technology, and technology is great because I'm talking to you, and I'm, this is kind of weirdly disembodied. I can't even see your face, so this is absolutely amazing. But we don't live by this, right? We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live by the power of Jesus. We believe the center of our life, and we're going to structure our life around this simple truth is that Jesus died for our sins. He came back from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He poured out his spirit on his people. And we are called for such a time as this to love our generation. And I want you to believe God for that. And I'm going to pray that God will set you free from fear, set you free from anxiety so we can truly love people. It's funny, and, and I close here. I've just been hearing a lot of stories of people talking six feet apart about how life is completely different. People who have never talked about religion, never talked about going to church, people who have never been to church before are actually talking about deep existential questions. They're talking about metaphysics. They're talking about God. They're talking about the afterlife. They're talking about death. They're talk it's amazing what this pandemic has done to shape in profound ways the existential questions of our generation. And as a church, we have an opportunity. We're not opportunists, but we have an opportunity to demonstrate the love of Jesus to our world. So this week, I'm going to pray for you, but I want to give you um, a challenge. This week, I want you to practice this self-giving love. In fact, my dad said this a long time ago when I was a young man, and uh, I was in a season where I was struggling with a few things. And he came to me, and he goes, Chris, um, hey, this is how you're going to get out of your funk. I'm sure some of us have experienced funk. We've experienced melancholy. And he goes, Chris, this is what I want you to do. I just want you to serve somebody this week. I want you to serve. I want you to go out. I want you to, back then we had landlines, right? So I want you to call somebody, right? and encourage them, or I want you to, like, do something that you would no normally not do. 
And I remember I took that to heart, and I started serving people, and I just started encouraging people. And you know what amazing? You know what amazing? That hap- what, what happened to me is that, man, I, I lost a sense of myself. And um, I started thinking about other people and the, that funk that was inside of me, it left. And I believe the, the greatest way to move out of fear is to learn to love and to be perfected in God's love. So the challenge this week, let's be creative with our love. Let's, let's write letters and encourage people. Like get on Zoom, right, and tell people how much you love them. Go to your neighbor. Stay six feet apart. Drop off some, drop, drop off some groceries. Uh, there are a lot of creative things that we can do for our neighbors and for our city. Let's be creative. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And let's believe that God, uh, through his power and through his love, will change our city. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you are with uh, your people. And Lord, if there's anyone right now that is struggling with fear and anxiety, Lord, I thank you that you know exactly what they're feeling. And Lord, I just pray that they would be overwhelmed right now with a sense of your presence. Lord, that they would know that you're with them. That they would know that you are in charge of all of creation. Lord, let that become the defining reality of their lives. And Lord, as I pray, Lord, we're, we're, we're making a decision in the midst of this storm uh, to, to change what we rely on. And I thank you that you would help us, Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we repent for placing uh, and making money or success or influencing or all these good things, making them the point. I just ask, Holy Spirit, you would help us to make Jesus the point. Lord, you would help us to structure our lives around the kingdom of God. And Lord, I thank you this week you would give us the strength to practice gratitude. Lord, that we would walk in thankfulness as we experience your love and your grace. And Lord, I thank you that we would, as a community, be perfected in your love in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you, and we can't wait to see you next Sunday. We love you.